It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson here. Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Hello, my friend. Um, we got a lot to discuss today. There is a lot that has gone on since our last podcast, our, our, our Wednesday podcast, um, for the inner circle for the subscribers at AuburnObserver.com. $60 a month or $60 a year can get you access to all of that if you haven't subscribed already. But here in these uh, these free weekend uh, podcasts that we do, um, you know, there's there's usually a lot going on. This week we've got so much to talk about. Not only with an Auburn basketball game, but also uh, several things happening uh, these past few days uh, for Auburn football, heading into National Signing Day on Wednesday. So we've got a lot to get to, and uh, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do the same thing we did a, a little while back, uh, Painter. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the choice as the producer of this fine radio program. Um, do we start with Auburn basketball or do we start with Auburn football? Where do you want to go? Let's go basketball first. All right. We'll, we'll start with basketball. Auburn dropping 84, 72 to number two Baylor. Uh, this was a game where, you know, Auburn was facing an uphill battle from the very beginning. Baylor, uh, right now on Ken Palm is on pace to be the best college basketball team of the last six years. If you look at, uh, their ratings this season, um, the nation's number one offense, nation's number three defense. This is a team that was um, you know, kind of blowing out teams left and right this season. Auburn goes in, even leads a few times early. Um, good back and forth first half. They played excellent defense. They they did not let a Baylor offense that is you know really good at pretty much everything to uh, kind of light them up. Um, you know, missed some opportunities down late in the first half. You know, had some turnovers, had some miss, uh, missed uh, free throws, things like that. They go into the locker room down five, and then to start the second half, uh, Baylor's offense turns into Baylor's offense again. Auburn doesn't quite match the energy and effort level, as Bruce Pearl said that he wanted him to, to, to that, that he wanted him with Baylor looked a lot more uh, look, look like the the more. I wouldn't say motivated team. I just think they, they look like the team with, with uh, more energy behind them. And uh, they can shoot. They can shoot. They are really, really good at shooting the three ball. And uh, they started hitting them in bunches. And lo and behold, Auburn, a little after the 10-minute the mark in the second half, was down by 21. Now, they fought back late in the second half. Um, they did kind of once again what they normally do is they, they keep swinging, they keep fighting. Um, Baylor kept some starters out there on the floor, um, which I think they were trying to pad their stats a little bit, try to keep their try to try to get their scoring margins up for net and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Auburn only ends up losing by 12 in this one. And uh, more importantly, for some of you, uh, they kick down the back door and uh, and and stride right into Covertown. Um, Painter, what what was your initial thought about this game you told me right before we went on uh that you that you uh being the being the fans perspective on this podcast which we which we always <laughs> appreciate hearing uh you had to turn it off for a little bit you're getting you're getting you're getting a little frazzled by by what was happening well i think that part too is my own failing because i had a pretty strong feeling that this game was going to look like this i was not particularly optimistic i think i'd said i'd like to see them keep it to single digits and thought that that was possible they were close whatever mm-hmm. yeah baylor was clearly better and 
you know, I think for the most part, since Sharif has been back, not only does he obviously make them better on the court, the talent is used better, but also since he's come back, I think the team knows he makes them better and, and yeah. it instills another layer of confidence. I feel like in this game, they all sort of realized that no one person could save them. Yeah, especially in the second half. I think this team looked really confident in the first half. They, when they were hanging with Baylor and, and, and doing it with defense. Um, they weren't letting them get get open. Uh, they dominated the boards early on. Um, and they started they started to hit some of their own shots down the stretch uh, of the first half. Had, had a few threes to kind of get, get things going a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean... Sharif Cooper, as great as he was, he wasn't going to, as he is, he wasn't going to save you in this one because the thing about Baylor is that they're very, very deep um, and they're very, very talented. Uh, Bruce Pearl said it on Friday. They are older. Their average age is, is is higher than the Chicago Bulls. Like, this is a this is a team, this is one of the most experienced <laughs> teams in college basketball. And they're very, very talented. And the big thing in this game that stood out to me is that, you know, since Sharif Cooper has come to Auburn, as he has been cleared, uh, ruled eligible, I guess is a better way to put it, Auburn has had the advantage talent-wise in the backcourt in pretty much every game, especially with the way Alan Flanagan's been playing recently. And we've seen both Jamal Johnson and Devin Cambridge have good games, really good runs, kind of going that back and forth between those two. This game, that wasn't the case because Baylor has the best backcourt in college basketball. Uh, you look at some of the pieces they've got. Um, you know, they they have a guy in Jared Butler um, who might be one of the front runners for National Player of the Year this year. Of course, they have Davion Mitchell, who Auburn fans are familiar with, um, the, the former Tigers guard who left after one season. And then they have uh, Masio Teague, uh, a wing kind of kind of like Flanagan uh, does a lot of does a lot of good stuff uh, physically. He had a really good game as well. Uh, and then they brought a guy off the bench um, in uh, Adam Flagler. I don't remember his first name. Adam Flagler. I know everybody wants to talk about uh, Matthew Mayer. He's a, he's a big man. Uh, but uh, Flagler came off the bench and scored 19. That was a game high 19. So I wrote this in the observations on on Saturday evening. If you're a subscriber, you already you already know this stat if you read it. But um, in this game, you know Auburn was uh, Auburn's Auburn's starting backcourt plus Devin Cambridge. If you look at their top four guards in this game, they only shot they only hit 13 shots. Baylor's hit 24 in this game. Um, also, they shot well from deep. Uh, Baylor was plus 15 in three pointers in a game that was decided by 12. Um, those back that backcourt was two for 16 from downtown. Uh, that would be Cooper Johnson, Flanagan, and Cambridge. Uh, it was a tough game. It was a tough game. And, and Bruce Pearl said you can't let them beat you with threes. Easier said than done because they're the best three-point shooting team in college basketball, and they like to get like they like to create opportunities for their guys to, to hit threes. Um, but after a first half where they held them in check there, second half it was just Baylor. Baylor figured out some things to get for guys to get open. They were hitting them. Uh, there were several sequences in the game where you had like a weird bounce and a long rebound and a 50-50 ball that, you know, cr- turned into an easier look for, for Baylor. And, and those things happen. And and the one thing about Baylor is is that you see where experience matters so much. Um, 
Jalen Williams said it after the game. Those guys knew, you know, in the second half, they knew how to power through when the fatigue started getting to them, when the pressure started getting to them. Because they had been there before and they'd done it together so many times. And Auburn's still trying to build together as a team. And in the second half when things, when, you know, adversity struck, um, you know, they weren't they weren't really really prepared to kind of take it away and unlike Missouri earlier in the week where when adversity struck and you blew that lead you were able to battle back and get the win harder to do that because Missouri can't really hit a ton of shots in the half court and Baylor all they do is hit shots it did feel like at any moment you were aware that Baylor could go on a run and that it could be hard for Auburn to catch up and that eventually did happen yeah, it, where uh, it became it, obvious. Okay, now it's out of reach. Right, exactly. And and you know there were a few there were a few things here. Um, Sharif Cooper played probably his his quote unquote worst game of his young career to this point. Uh, he went sixteen seven and five. That's <laughs> that's what you're talking. And he, and he barely went to the free throw line. Like that's what you're talking about when you're talking about what his floor looks like. There you go. Your well, floor think- is a really good is a really good game for a lot of college point guards. You can also be excited about what experience could do for this team oh, if yeah. they get all of its pieces back, plus the two additional recruiting uh, well, prospects that they've signed. So, you know. well, it, and, and that was something that Williams brought up after the game. Jalen Williams did, and he was saying, um, you know, playing Gonzaga and playing Baylor was really good for us. For us next year, we don't have any seniors. Next year, if we play some team like that again, we're going to be ready for them. They're the only team in the country that's played number one Gonzaga and number two Baylor. By the way, um, people who follow me on Twitter or have read my stuff in the past, or I mean, it's probably more of a uh, follow me on Twitter kind of thing, knows that I am a Gonzaga fan. Like, I, I enjoy watching Gonzaga basketball. I have for, for a good chunk of my life. Um, as much as I would like to say, yeah, Gonzaga is the number one team in the country, that Baylor team is better. They've got a better defense, um, and they're not too far behind on the offensive end. But the fact that Auburn played the two clear best teams in college basketball this season, they're the only ones who have done that, that's going to get them ready to go for the future. And going through a game like this where Sharif can't just get everything that he wants on offense, um, you know, it's gonna it, it, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. Sharif tweeted it after the game. Um, he said, not a loss, it's a lesson. Uh, back Tuesday and like that's the good mentality to have because at this point we know you know Auburn's not going to the postseason Auburn is building for the future this is what this season was all about and there's a few, there's few better lessons you can get in the loss to that where it's like hey this is the best team in America here's what you, and you're playing them on the road here's what you should have done better here's what you've got to do better when you play teams moving forward um They'll get that. They'll get that. And, and and there were some. I mean, there were just some rough performances in this game. In the backcourt, um, you look at uh, Jamal Johnson went 0 for 4 shooting. He didn't have a point. Um, was kind of a was kind of a non-factor uh, for most of the game. Uh, Alan Flanagan um, really struggled to find a shot. Turned the ball over a lot early on in this game. Um, had a few. Had a little stretch there where he started to come back when Auburn made their little push um to the back door uh in the in the uh in the second half but three of 14 from the floor um five turnovers he had eight boards and six assists which is a really good game but it's just not a very efficient game from him and that's what you've come to expect from him this season he was going to be an efficient go-to scorer uh Devin Cambridge I think he had eight points in the first half kind of held in check in the second half 
I had a few really really good dunks. Um, and you know, good for him. He had he had some he had some highlight reel moments on his birthday, which is always always fun to see. Uh, but yeah, just Baylor, Baylor's just got a just a stupid deep backcourt, um, and they outplayed Auburn, and that is rare because usually it's like, hey, we have Sharif Cooper, we have the best player on the floor, and Sharif Cooper is probably the most talented player that played yesterday, but he's not the best right now because you know guys he's like still a Davion, baby. Yeah, and Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler are both like playing outstanding uh, basketball this season. Uh, for a full for a full season, you know Cooper, as impressive as this run is, especially when you consider it's only come against SEC opponents. You know these guys have been doing it for a little for a little bit longer, uh, or a lot longer in the case of some of them. And without Justin Powell, who's still out. And by the way, Bruce Pearl said earlier this week that um, if he does get cleared, it's probably going to take him a couple weeks to get back into game shape, just because he's been out so long. So Auburn fans like it may be a while before you see him. Um, without without Powell though, like you don't have a ton of depth at guard, and you don't have a ton of depth on the wing, so you just kind of have to just roll with it, you know. And there were a couple of people who were talking about Flanagan having a rough game, needing to go to the bench, and all that. And, and I responded to somebody who I think they thought I thought was I thought I thought that they thought um, that I, they were saying like bench him like moving forward. It's like no no no. I, I understood you were talking about this this particular game, but it's like. You know, Flanagan struggled, and he went through it. Now, he came back late and, and, you know, did well down the stretch. But, like, you don't have another point guard option. You don't have hardly any depth on the wing. Um, so, you just kind of have to ride it out with these guys. And in the long run, I think that's going to help them. Well, it goes back to the experience part. And next year, you know, I think you're really thinking deep tournament run. But even if you lose Sharif, and Jabari in somewhat of a best-case scenario because that means you get Sharif back plus Jabari becomes a one-and-done and and Sharif sort of accomplishes what you think he's capable of, you know, the next season. Then you're looking at all these other guys who are going to be seniors and players like Cardwell and his class that will be juniors. So there's a lot of of promise. Just pushing through this season is is obviously the challenging part because you see sometimes – how good they can be when they hang with Baylor, even though they weren't perfect in the first half, far from it. No, and, and, and they have the talent to hang with anybody, I think, especially when you have Shreve Cooper on the floor. If they ran it back like Gonzaga today, that's a different-looking game than it did, you know, the second game of the season, absolutely. Um, you know, watching this game, I, I did, thinking about the future, I think, I thought one of the things Auburn could have really used in this game when you go up against an elite offense like Baylor is, okay, can they get a guy who can just get a shot against anybody? Um, a guy who can create for himself, you know, can be a matchup problem on the offense because they've got plenty of offensive talent. But, you know, a really good defense like Baylor's is going to make it hard for them to get open looks. And so it's like, yeah, you like what if Auburn had a guy like Jabari Smith yesterday where you weren't getting as many assists, you know, they were, the shots weren't coming as open, but it's like, hey, this is a dude who can hit some contested shots, can um, create a lot for himself, uh, can just go get you a bucket because he's 6'10 and can, and can hit from anywhere. Yeah, it feels like the offense gets stuck sometimes right. if Sharif cannot score himself or if, you know, honestly, like if no one else is hitting shots, the other team can simply make life tough on Sharif. And I think yeah. Yeah. one more playmaker – who's able to do what you just said, or if, you know, Allen and 
Justin or, or Thor are, are more capable of doing that next season, which you have to think that they would be. Right. I, I think, again, that's a, a big step for Auburn is having someone else other than Sharif who can consistently create. I don't feel like you can say that anyone else can. Like Sometimes you get it from Allen, but in a game like this against you a really it. good team. Yeah, you get it some, you get it some from Jalen Williams, but I was watching that game saying they could have really used somebody who can be like, all right, we need a bucket. And like Jabari Smith is a, a, that dude who's got that size and that skill set where you feel like you can do that. The other thing I felt like they needed was another guard. They could have used another guard, especially in a game where several of them were struggling. You can kind of rotate a little bit more. Uh, we've seen that happen in the front court this season, and guys are able to pick, pick each other up a little bit better. You just don't have that at guard. Oh, by the way, here's Trey Alexander coming in, um, who is a great shooter and a great defensive weapon. So I think they're going to be, you know, it shows kind of where this team can continue to get better. Speaking of Jalen Williams in the front court, that, that Auburn's front court played well in this game. Um, the backcourt is where they lost it. Of course, the three-point shooting um, from from Baylor made a huge difference. The front court, though, you know, Baylor's power forward in their center. This is not an inside-oriented team, but they only scored two points. Meanwhile, Jalen Williams and JT Thor combined for 30. Both of them were incredibly efficient uh, scorers. Jalen went three of six from, from three-point range, which is big for him. Um, Pearl thought he had a had a matchup advantage with, with Williams at the five, a guy who's a little bit more agile and, and creative and, and playmaking probably could do a better job of, of getting him some more opportunities he said but I feel like Pearl says that after every game which a guy does well and you know it's not necessarily a, a ton of shots he's like oh I need you know a better coach he always he's I think he said like four or five times this season like a better coach would get him more touches and more looks and that might be true to an extent but also it's just like Jalen Williams wasn't forcing anything. He had good matchups and he took advantage. And then, and then um, JT Thor as well, uh, playing playing really, really well in the front court. And it's that's I think is an encouraging sign you can take away from this game because how many times in the SEC play ha- have we gone in here and, and Auburn said, well, you know, they didn't get enough scoring from the inside guys. Um, you know, rebounding wasn't great. Uh, you know, got beat up on the interior with their with the scoring. That wasn't the case in this game. Auburn's front court uh, really held their own, um, including Chris Moore, who once again Auburn scores on every possession when he's on the floor. He, it's it's becoming kind of insane to watch this, um, but they did a really good job. Points in the paint held even in rebounds, even though Baylor went on a really good run in the first half where they were getting more rebounds and more fifty fifty balls. Uh, that front court played well, and that front court continues to develop because while everybody's wondering is Sharif Cooper coming or going or whatever, um, staying or going, I should say, next season, you know, looking at Alan Flagan playing well, looking at the guards, Thor and Williams, and then when you throw in Cardwell and, and Moore and some of these guys moving forward, um, you kind of feel like those pieces are the guys who are going to be here for sure next season. You kind of know what your makeup's going to look like with, with those guys. And uh, I they're progressing really well. They're progressing really, really well. We've seen Thor kind of play his best ball since Cooper's come back. And we've seen, you know, a few games here in the last uh, last few weeks where Jalen Williams just becomes a really, really big-time scoring weapon. Well, to your point about how deep Baylor is, think about how good Auburn's second team's going to be next year with the likes of perhaps Jamal Johnson. I don't know what his status is on coming back, but he has another year of eligibility, unless I'm mm-hmm. mistaken. And yep. then, of course, you've got Trey Alexander with all the upside in the world. Devin Cambridge, I think I'm assuming Jalen Williams is 
because of Jabari's talent, probably running more with the, the second team. And then Cardwell, among some of the other players you've mentioned already, like Moore, who seems to be finding a great niche for himself. If the buy-in's there, and I assume it is because of the way Pearl recruits and the chemistry, I mean, that is a deep second team on top of the obvious talent of the likes of Sharif and Jabari and Thor and Flan. I mean, you get where I'm going with this. The second team, and I know you just mentioned their progression, give me as you know nearly as much excitement as like incoming perhaps lottery pick and one and done talent jabari because of what they do together yeah and and justin powell as well like you don't know who starts necessarily next season you'll have the experience of of, of jamal johnson if he comes back you'll have trey alexander's got great upside and then you have powell who um was playing really really well in non-conference play you know wasn't finding it wasn't hitting shots in sec play and then he's going to be out for a while with an injury what does he look like coming back but there's weapons there's going to be weapons all across the board on this team um they if everybody comes back as things stand right now they have a full 13 man roster of you know guys and the 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 good thing is about this team is that guys number 11 12 and 13 in that rotation so to speak you would think or just 12 and 13 with a guy like Chris Moore and, and Javon Franklin, like they're getting limited minutes and they're still delivering when they get out there on the floor. And that's, that's a good sign of a healthy culture. Guys aren't getting, you know, frustrated with their roles and not performing. Now a guy like Turbo Jones saw the writing on the wall and said, Hey, I need to go ahead and and, and get a jump on where I'm going to play next because playing time is not going to be, be there as much for me. And he made his decision to go on and go. For guys like Chris Moore and for, for guys like Javon Franklin, they've stayed with it and have gotten rewarded by it with, with some opportunities and in limited minutes. And they're playing well when they come off it. Stretch Hock and Bowl is the same way. He'll get about seven or eight minutes a game. But I mean, he's just coming off a game where he had five blocks in eight minutes. Like this dude is still really, really working hard and staying, and, you know, the Pearl thing stay right, stay ready, that, that, that kind of thing. So, you know, not to knock a guy like. Turbo, not to knock a guy like Davion Mitchell, who you know who obviously made the right decision and 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 went to Baylor, um, but I think that's a it's a good thing where you can you can keep some of those guys that are towards the end of your rotation and rely on them moving forward because I think Moore's got a ton of upside and I think Javon Franklin can do some of everything for you and that's that's exactly what we thought uh, what we thought they could they could bring to the table. I'm curious if there will be any attrition in the front court just because of how much talent and depth could be there next year. Who knows what individual players' desires are. A lot of guys on this team may be okay with playing less minutes in that secondary role because they know they're going to be on a great team. And Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to see if anyone left what they do with that spot. Do you go get more depth at point guard? Um, You know, someone like uh, Javon Franklin who really helped you out then the final four run playing somewhat limited minutes at times throughout that season. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens just because I'm curious to see what the players on this team think. A lot of them I think could stick around, even though they could oh, yeah. get more playing time somewhere else. And, and the front court situation is really interesting because JT Thor is not thick enough. You would say to be the five right now in, in SEC play. And, and Jalen Williams is one of your most valuable players. He does give you a lot on both ends of the floor. Um, and he's going to have experience at the five. Well, now you come in and like, hello, here's Jabari Smith. He's, you know, a natural stretch four probably. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here, and you can stop me if if you think this sounds ridiculous. Like, 
you could probably run a lineup next season of if Sharif Cooper comes back, put Sharif Cooper there at the one. You could kick Allen Flanagan down to the two, put Jabari at the three, put Thor at the four, and Jalen like keep your front court intact. Put you know Thor at the four and Jalen at the five. So yes, you would have quote unquote an undersized center at the five, but a guy that you know can play that at the SEC level. And oh by the way, here's two six ten guys playing next to him. Um, and a guy like Flanagan can play too, play two, and then you know that's a big lineup, but that's a lineup that would that would make sense. So there's so many weapons. If they wanted to go full small ball next year and play Thor at the five and 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 Smith at the four, you know you can load up with with wings and and, and guards at that point. So it's going to be really fun to watch. And yeah, the way I, he's put this roster together because the talent part makes everything go right. I mean that's the thing right. that's the most exciting. But because of what you're talking about, the athleticism, the length of certain lineups it seems like they will be able to go up against just about any team and any style of basketball. I mean, you think about all the players you just mentioned, but Cardwell and maybe his development, I hope it will be, will Mm -hmm. leap him into a very impressive sophomore season. He gives you something more comparable, I guess, to what we saw from Austin Wiley, whereas some of these other guys give you these more athletic, rangy, stretch uh, shooters that, that are playing the four and the five. I'd really excited about the way this roster is constructed. I don't think that is a, a new point. I think a lot of Auburn fans clearly feel that way. Good news for Auburn. You know, we talk about the future. How about the how about the near future? Um, January is over. We said this, I mean, go back to the first time we were in the offseason. We did our, you know, basketball-only podcast where we kind of ran down the roster and the schedule. Um we said, hey, if they survive January, they're going to be in a good spot moving forward. Well, January's over. They played nine games in the month of January. Uh, six of them were on the road. It's wonderful scheduling, SEC. Um, they uh, played four teams that are ranked higher than, rated higher than Kim Palm. It was five. Now it's down to four because Auburn jumped Kentucky. After them. By the way, as I pointed out on Twitter, Baylor's performance got him to number one on Kempom. Auburn's performance got him three spots higher on Kempom. People are like, oh, how how could they? How could that happen? They lost, and they lost by double digits. And you know, you know, some people think that they they quit and played horribly. And like, there were some really weird like hot takes after this game. I was like, no, they beat expectations. They lost by twelve. They didn't let Baylor, you know, put a blowtorch to him for for forty minutes. Um, that's. We had just spoken highly of Auburn basketball Twitter. Okay, but here's the thing: this is an Auburn basketball Twitter. That's a good point. Can I can I make that point? Yeah. It's Auburn fans that might be overreacting some to what's going on in basketball because might not be as might not be as well versed in, in in basketball as some of these guys. Now, our our mainstay is on Auburn basketball Twitter. Uh, you guys and girls continue to fight the good fight. Um, but yeah, there was some just some like weird, like off the rails kind of like this was pathetic. This was a pathetic effort. Blah, blah blah. I was like, no. I mean, yeah, they uh, the, the the third quarter, so to speak. Um, Baylor was running hard, faster, and playing harder. Um, but I think when when you're a young team and you start giving up those shots like Auburn had, you're going to drop your head a little bit. You're going to, you're going to like Jalen, I think Jalen Williams said they, they, they kind of shut us down a little bit and they had to pick themselves back up there in the final minutes. 
I think that's just kind of natural, and I think that's kind of just, okay, that's a, a young team. Like, even if Auburn played with all their hard work and effort and energy for that whole game, they're still probably losing to Baylor, and they're still probably losing to Baylor by double digits just because of the way they were shooting in the second half. It happens. Okay, so don't jump off the uh, jump off the cliff <laughs> with this team because this is a hor- this would be the worst time to jump off the cliff because January is over. That we knew that this was going to be a brutal time of the season for Auburn. Now we flip into February. What happens in February? You get Georgia on at home on on Tuesday. This is a game where Auburn's coming off of you know tough performance, but they really beat Georgia soundly in Athens without playing necessarily super well. Um, offensively, they, they, they look great, but it wasn't One the cleanest game. One of the strangest the feeling second halves that I've watched in a while yeah. where both teams were like, mm, this is Kind of like an NBA All-Star game kind of yes. kind of, kind of second half. Um, then you have Ole Miss. Uh, you know, you have Ole Miss coming back. You want revenge there. Oh you will God. have a point. You will have a point guard in this game, which is, which is a big deal. By the way, Kentucky somehow jumped Auburn. I don't know how that happened. They didn't play yesterday. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at Ken Palm. Uh, you got a you got an old Miss team uh, that uh, you know has won a couple of games, but you know they are three and five in SEC play. They also play Tennessee, who's coming off a really impressive win over over Kansas. Um, you go to Vanderbilt, uh, that Vandy team. Uh, finally, so help finally, me God, I know that game's going to be closer than it should be. Finally, got a win. Finally, got a win in SEC play. They beat South Carolina yesterday. Um, but you go on the road in Memorial Gymnasium, which is always a weird place to play. Um, then you have Kentucky on the road. Brother, who knows what that, that one's going to look like. You haven't won in Rupp in a, in a long time, but who knows what Kentucky is going to be by that point. And then you play Mississippi State at home. You're going to be favored in four out of your next five games, more than likely. And then that fifth game is a winnable game. I know it's not easy to win in Rupp, no matter how good Kentucky is or how bad they are. Um but this is a chance to go on a run. They're four and five in SEC play. Painters bet that they are going to finish above five hundred. Um, this is, I think, this is the make or break stretch right here because then that final four that they play, they go to LSU, they host Florida, they host Tennessee, and they go to Alabama. That's a that's a tough finish uh, for sure. Yeah, if you can not just a- go two for two on those last four, I think you're pretty excited, especially as you know, really as long as you win the last one, right. Yeah, if you win the last one, which I mean, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Oklahoma just beat them without their best player. Yeah, going there and winning is going to be tough, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll Auburn see stomped Tennessee seeding. last year to end the season. Wasn't that in Tennessee? Yes. Yes, so. it was in. It was in Knoxville. So, I mean, th- this is a time to go on a run here for Auburn. Um, they. You know, it's not going to be easy. It's not saying that you can just snap your fingers and beat Georgia and Ole Miss this upcoming week. Now, Auburn will be favored, and if Auburn plays their game, this should be a 2-0 week for them. But, like, it's not going to be a breeze. But this is this team, if they play the way that they're capable of playing, you know that they've got a lot, you know, going for them right now. Um, and, you know, they can prove Painter right by, you know, beating the odds. <laughs> and, uh, you know, coming, coming up on top and, you know, getting a uh, – they the, all they need all they need at this point is you know win the four games that they're going to be favored in and then take one of either Kentucky LSU Florida Tennessee or Alabama to get to five hundred in SEC play they only need one at that point and I just don't think it's preposterous for them to go two there but uh, yeah to your point give me the one yeah. and give me win the one ten, against win Alabama, ten games Lord. And, 
Yeah, win 10 games in SEC play when you put yourself in an 0-3 hole uh, without your point guard. Yeah, that would be a that would be a heck of a way to to finish the season. So there's a lot of there's a lot of optimism. There should be a lot of optimism moving forward for Auburn basketball. You know that that third quarter, so to speak, against Baylor, it sucked to watch. It made Painter turn off the TV. I get that. <laughs> um, but that team, whatever effort and energy issues there were from Pearl's perspective and some fans' perspective, they made up for it down the stretch. Um, and you know they'll they played Baylor as well as a lot of team as well as pretty much any team that has played them this season has. Um, you know I think there have only been a couple of single digit games that they have played this year that Baylor has. So I mean you'll take it you'll take it. This team they 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 were coming off of beating Kansas State by what was it like fifty three or something like that. Did you see that score the other night? Uh, yes, their margin, their their 48. margin of, of victory has been astounding this year, and I'm so fascinated to watch Gonzaga and Baylor because, based on the way the tournament goes, you know, normally you take the field against anybody. It's just so hard to get all the way through. But these teams are so good. Yeah, they are clearly better than than the pack. Uh, Gonzaga can score on anybody. Uh, Baylor has a really good balance of offense and defense. I mean, they're both 34 in the adjusted uh, ratings on, on Kempom. They're both <laughs> plus 34. Number three, Michigan is plus 28. I'd say that's a team gap. I wouldn't want to draw in any round of the tournament either. But, yeah, the oh, distinction Michigan? between those two is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I'll be interested to see what Michigan does at this point. They're not playing for a while. Um their next scheduled game, they had to have, they had a COVID shutdown. Their next scheduled game is they get to go play Illinois. Um, mm, coming off of a long rest, that sounds tough. Yeah, Kofi Coburn will uh, will give them give them the blues. I think. Uh, yeah, there's a few one loss teams out there that are <laughs> that are interesting to interesting to look at. Villanova is still a one loss team. Uh, Houston's still a one loss team. Uh, by the way, uh, we. In college basketball, oh no! Did Alabama and A&M lose? Oh, they did. Alabama and A&M lost yesterday to Prairie View by twenty-two. What the heck? Come on, guys. Uh, there were four undefeated teams in college basketball heading into yesterday. Alabama A&M, sadly, um, no more. Uh, no more. We couldn't get the in-state pride there. Gonzaga, Baylor, and Drake. Drake is the other undefeated team in college Shout basketball. Shout out to Drake. Aren't they ranked right around where Auburn is in Ken Palm? Yes, they are right. Um, they are right two spots behind Auburn. So, shout out to the Bulldogs and Drake. Uh, Keep it up, boys. So, Painter, you got anything else basketball related before we flip over? I'm uh, excited about the future and taking lumps as they come at us this year. Doesn't seem like Auburn has caught much of a break in the luck category, as far as I can tell. Uh, it has especially been disappointing for obvious reasons that you were missing Sharif. Auburn is minus. <laughs> Auburn is two hundred forty fourth in the country in luck, mm-hmm. according to Kempom, and that's and, some statistical uh, thing yeah, I'm you not one hundred percent sure about. Yeah, the Powell getting hurt right as Sharif came back. Uh, you know, bummer. But uh, you know, the, the broadcast did a great job of talking about Sharif's eligibility without ever mentioning why it was that his status changed, and uh, it's an astounding thing that happens where they just don't talk I don't about. Think they- yeah, but I don't think they know, right? Well, th- yeah, they don't know, and they're not going to bring it up because it's sort of a prickly subject, I think. And, you know, they're, right. they're lockstep with the NCAA here, so they're not going to bring up uncomfortable conversations. I stuck to my guns because I'm 
uh, me continue to watch the game on mute, how I how I roll these days. Uh, but Fran Fraschilla was the color guy on this game, I believe. And uh, Fran Fraschilla signed up for the Observer this past week. So if you want to be like Fran Fraschilla, you can do that as well. Arbonobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. Um, I don't know if he got any relevant information from, from the from the site, but he did sign up um, unless somebody else is using his name and, and his email address, which would be interesting if they did. Uh, <laughs> $6 a month, $60 a year, get you access to everything we have going on. A lot of you uh, are listening. Uh, you listen to the free podcast wherever you listen to your podcast each week. We appreciate that. If you want another podcast, our midweek ones, uh, you can check those out as a subscriber and then that and all the stories that i write at the website get sent directly in your email inbox painter if the folks at home whether they're subscribers or non-subscribers whether they're in the inner circle or whether there are outer circle friends um how can they continue to help us out rate review subscribe that helps us tremendously rate review subscribe i know it takes 20 30 seconds and i know that you're busy doing other things, but if you could give us that 20 or 30 seconds in addition to what it is you already give us, which we appreciate, that would help the show tremendously. Uh, there's a lot going on, too, obviously. New era of football, and uh, I think this basketball team, as we just spoke about at length, and the future, the way the roster is constructed, there's a ton to talk about, and obviously Ferg does a fantastic job writing about it. So rate, review, subscribe, and regardless of uh, all that thank you guys for listening and supporting the show 100 percent uh let's switch over to football by the way as as you mentioned as you mentioned that there's a lot to get to um okay let's start with the thing that happened most recently after our last podcast episode if you listen to the uh to the wednesday show we were talking about the defensive line uh higher as saying like hey they gotta replace tracy rocker um, I, I mentioned a couple of names that made sense to me. And then I said, you know, well, if, if this is like the rest of this search process, they're going to hire somebody that nobody expected. And you know, that, that's just how these things have gone. And what did they do? They hired somebody that nobody expected. Uh, <laughs> Nick Eason, um, you lose a, you lose a defensive line coach to the NFL. So you go to the NFL and take a defensive line coach with you. Uh, Nick Eason was the defensive line coach, uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals the last a couple of seasons, he was with the Tennessee Titans beforehand. Had a brief stop, I believe it was like Austin P or something like that as a, as a grad assistant or analyst or something like that. Um, and uh, former Clemson, uh, former Clemson defensive lineman, he was all ACC there. Uh, played in played in the league for about a decade. Uh, even played for the Scottish Claymores, which I thought was cool. Uh, shout out NFL Europa. Um, but yeah, Auburn gets a gets a defensive line coach that. I mean, on paper, we say, you know, don't grade hires as immediately as they happen because you don't know what's going to happen. But, like, on paper, he fits a lot of what Auburn's going to be doing moving forward. And you look at that defensive staff that, that Derek Mason has assembled, guys that are, you know, guys with a ton of experience. Um, you know, in the case of in the case of Eason now, some guys with NFL experience and, like, development, technique, uh, you know, all those buzzwords that you like about, you know, taking a guy from from where he is coming into the next level, that's what this staff is built on. You know, they don't let you coach defensive line. They don't let you coach a position in the NFL if you're not really good at getting guys to the to take the next step. 
development is the name. Again, you don't have to worry about recruiting, right? You don't have to do some of the managing, you know, some of the managing stuff you have to deal when you're dealing with college kids because you're dealing with dudes that are, you know, usually make more money than you do. So, you know, it's it's just about coaching. It's just about getting to the getting guys to the next level at that point. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know Nick Keeson a surprise hire, but I think a hire that really fits what Auburn is going to want to do moving forward. I was excited about the hire, but let me tell you what. It's not like I have anything to base that off of. I don't know where my <laughs> internal compass is. I think I just have no real choice other than to feel optimistic about it. You were you had said on the last podcast that you were down, not down necessarily, but like the least excited you were about a hire on on Auburn staff was Rocker. Yeah, where, I mean, he left once already after sort of being tied to the job, and then. Uh, this time and I again just don't care like you have to do what's best for you so oh yeah, yeah you know yeah. what and, and I know you feel the same so I'm just not mm-hmm. mad at the guy let me preface that but it, because of the like be. the idea that he may not be that into recruiting I was like can you not get a guy that can get that can do both but so you know with you, Easton they may have followed a similar blueprint because I don't know how into or experienced this guy is with recruiting so it may still be the same plan just a different developer yeah, considering his only college job was a non-recruiting job, if I if I remember correctly, um, but yeah, I don't I don't think that. But the thing there is, he's he's he went to Clemson. He's he's got some southeastern ties. His pitch is going to be, look, you want to go to the NFL? I know how to get you there. That's good. That's going to be the that's going to be the pitch I think in terms of recruiting. Um, Monday at the Observer, I'm going to put out a story that talks a little bit about Easton and talks a lot about this defensive line moving forward. Um, what this, cause Auburn's about to go through a pretty big change up front. Not only did you lose, you know, several guys, uh, to the transfer portal this off season. Um, but you're going to have a new way of doing things up front. We talk about the Derek Mason and the two gap technique. Uh, we talk about, you know, three, four, four, three, the multiple, whatever you want to call it on, on defense. It's more of a three-four background. Mason is by by you know his, his traditionally he's more of a three-four guy. Nick Easton's a guy who's coached at several three-four uh, places up front. He helped the Tennessee Titans uh, transition from a four-three to a three-four when he was there. Uh, of course, they've done that with um, uh, at Cincinnati. Uh, he's he's been there when they've done that at Cincinnati these last couple of seasons. Uh, speaking of Cincinnati, uh, saw both endorsements. Uh, from two former Auburn players, uh, Darren Bates and Carl Lawson, both uh, talking about how excited they're seeing to see their alma mater get a guy like Nick Eason. And while they were not necessarily coached by him, they were around him enough to know that you know that that's a pretty good stamp of approval to have when you have two two uh, alums playing in the NFL that can vouch for a guy. I'm with you. I'm all there. Uh, so part of the defensive line overhaul that's going to happen uh, moving forward is the fact that Auburn has uh, a new pass rusher, edge rusher guy uh, on, on their roster, um, you know, coming in. Northwestern transfer, uh, I, I'm so sorry if I, I, I messed up your name, uh, my friend. Uh, Iku Leota, I'm going to say that's probably the way to pronounce it. I like the or idea A- of him, A- like, A- standing on the, on the sideline against Auburn in the bowl game being like, Oh heck yeah! I am so joining this team. Echo Leota, he's a graduate transfer uh, who only played two seasons at Northwestern, so he's got 
I mean, he could have as many as three left uh, uh, for Auburn. I uh, had 10 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, and six quarterback hurries inside his first two seasons at Northwestern. He's originally from Asheville, North Carolina, former three-star prospect. Um, pretty good edge rusher. Uh, a lot of people thought might be the, you know, might have been the top pass rusher for Northwestern moving forward. Uh, his six and a half career sacks is more than anybody on Auburn's roster right now. So you're immediately plugging in saying, bloop, here's, a, here's an experienced you know, power five pass rusher, you know, you're not getting, you know, uh, you're not bringing Carl Lawson into the mix, but you're, you're getting a guy who has done it at a higher level. Um, you know, these last couple of seasons be very interested to see where he kind of fits in to the picture at Auburn because they could continue to need some more pass rushes. That's the one thing Auburn has said, like last season, as good as, as Derek Hall and Colby Wooden both were, and, and especially Colby Wooden with the way he got in the backfield frequently, a lot of those were tackles for loss. He didn't have a ton of sacks, right? You had Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, so you continued with that with that four-man front. You got a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, so you didn't get a ton of sacks. You haven't really had a go-to sack guy since Jeff Holland, really. Do you want one of those pass rushers now? It's kind of been a key to Mason's defenses in the past. Brian Harson has had several of them come through. At, uh, at Boise State. Um, nice. Yeah, I did it. Thank you. Uh, so I think that I think that this guy is going to be a, an interesting piece moving forward because Auburn's going to be trying a lot of different stuff, I believe, on their defensive line with their edge. Rich, try to generate something like that because it's going to be a transition. So uh, Eko Leota, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It might be Eku. Um, I think you know, you're getting an experienced guy and just plugging him right in. It's interesting because there are other guys, like we know this Auburn defensive line, they're bringing in Lee Hunter, who was at one time a five-star and he's a top 100 player. They're also bringing in Marquise Robinson, who's a highly rated defensive tackle out of, out of Florida. Um, it, they've already signed him, so those guys are coming in on the interior. Where does Hall end up? Where does Colby Wooden uh, you know, work out? You've got other guys, Stone Handy, you know, others um, with some really good upside on this defensive line, but where does your edge rushing come from? Where does your pass rushing come from? I'm high on Romello height. Um, I think, you know, some of these guys moving forward would be really fun to watch. And then there's Dylan Brooks, who I want to point out uh, here. Dylan Brooks uh, signed, of course, the University of Tennessee. Uh, he is a he he is a high four-star. He's number 72 player in the country, number five uh, weak side defensive end. I watched him play at Hanley this year. Uh, he Hanley came down to play Lynette in a game, and it was a really good game. Uh, Brooks just looked like a, I mean, looked like a man amongst boys, as even as good and, and talented as Hanley and Lynette are, are. He was just a different kind of a figure. A lot of people thought Auburn came in second for Brooks, uh, to, who ended up going to Tennessee. He signed in December and has asked for his release with all the chaos that has happened at Tennessee. <laughs> Will it happen? Maybe. Um, if so, a lot of people think that Auburn will end up being where he goes. And, and if that's the case, here's another more traditional outside linebacker, defensive end hybrid, that stud, if you want to call it like what 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 uh, what Harson had at Boise State. Um, that's where you have. I mean, that that, that that's where you have. That's a, that's the type of guy like that. So, you know, they could get some weapons up front moving forward. And of course, they've already got one in Leota. But um, or Leota, uh, I need to figure out how to pronounce that guy's name. Um, 
so I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to like with this Auburn defensive line, and they could be adding even more talent uh, uh, in the next in the next few weeks. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they make all this change because they got to get some production out of some guys who are gonna be learning a new way to play defensive line and outside linebacker. I would imagine. Ferg, tell me something good about the offensive line, specifically tackles. Um, I'm afraid that there may not be anything, but it's something that's I on think, my mind and near and I dear think, to my heart. I think if Broderick's ham stays healthy, he's he's still one of your best offensive linemen, and I think he can he can be a really good offensive lineman, um, a good SEC starter if he stays healthy, and that's just easier said than done at this point. Um, I think they're going to have to get a tackle or tackles in, in the transfer portal right. at the, at the very least for depth, but they need to challenge somebody like, you know, last season, um, you bring in Killian Zyre, he's hurt. He doesn't get to play a whole lot. Uh, you bring in Brennan coffee. He's okay. When he comes into the end of the picture, but it was kind of a chaotic end of the season for Auburn. Uh, Austin Troxel was at one point a really, really talented offensive lineman, prospect he's had so many injuries that you got to start wondering i think if if you know if if the door's closed on him or not but i don't know i mean he's he's a tough dude who keeps coming back so we'll see i I, but i guess i I guess my big thing for them is that if you want to optimism on the offensive line I, i think ham i think if ham stays healthy he's really good at right tackle but yeah there's a reason why brian harson i think mentioned offensive tackle twice when he was talking about the uh the transfer portal so i'm the guy that constantly reminds people to not compare themselves to alabama in every grand granular way but uh i mean just looking at their their offensive line jesus well i i think i think their offensive line this past year could have been one of the best i've ever seen like from completely mac jones mac jones had a day to throw the ball every time he dropped back to pass and that and that makes a big difference. That makes a huge, huge difference. And Auburn's struggles last season on the offensive line were pass protection compared to run blocking. They did a little bit better at run blocking than they did the year before. And it also helps to have a guy like Tank Bigsby breaking tackles. Pass protection is where they where they got let down. And so it's a new offensive line. It's a, I mean, it's a new offensive line coach. It's a new offensive coordinator. It's a new head coach. They need improvement there. But again, like we've said with the Harson hires, like you're not built like Harson, you don't hire Harson because you're gonna compete for the SEC championship immediately in twenty twenty one. You make that hire because you want to build to be a more consistent team moving forward, right? Um, I know Justin Lee, friend of the newsletter, has made this point where he's like he, he's of the opinion that if Auburn would have kept Malzahn in twenty twenty one, they would have had a chance they'd have a better chance to beat Georgia and Alabama this season just because the you're playing at home, especially Alabama, because it's just like Gus's brand of football has has just you know flummoxed uh, Alabama the last you know last few times with Jordan Hare. Um, but you're building for the future, right? So that offensive line is going to be is going to be a really big question mark. Experience should help the guys coming back. I think Tayshawn Manning had a really good season last year, all things considered. And like I said, I like Ham, but like. This is a group that needs more depth and more competition and just more improvement moving forward, and they're going to have to do it around some uh, around some new coaches. Couldn't agree more. Also, going back to the Mac Jones thing, the best thing that could happen to that guy is to mm-hmm. land on a team that's decent, especially that has a good offensive line, 
starting quarterback goes down for three games, you go in, complete like, you know, 77% of your passes and your team goes two and one in that stretch. And then you just never have to play again until your next contract. And then you get the Chase Daniel treatment. I think the best case scenario for a guy like Mac Jones is if he was like the first round pick for like the Steelers this year. (laughs) Where he isn't going to start ahead of Roethlisberger. Right, right. But you're getting to the end, right? And I'm not saying that Mac Jones can do the can do the Mahomes thing and like sit and then turn into a, an all-star the next year. But, you know, I, I think that would be the best spot for him where he goes somewhere where he can be the backup to a, you know, a very experienced quarterback and then take the reins over potentially when, when, when that guy hangs it up. So yeah, that, that'll be, that'll be a, uh, that'll be an interesting, he'll be an interesting guy to follow in, in, in the draft process, because I think it's very telling that he put up those dumb numbers and won a national championship this year, and people are like, yeah, you're probably the fifth quarterback at best in this right. class. Um, so. But you did a uh, nice job talking about the offensive line, and I got us distracted. I'm just a little nervy good. about it. Let me put it that way. Uh, the har- Again, the Harson hire and what, what the rebuild, and it's not even a rebuild, but it's the it's the new build, I should say, moving forward for Auburn. Like, it's right, going to be a multi-year vision. process. It's gonna be an it's gonna be a multi year process, and there's gonna be some growing pains. And it's gonna look ugly at times. Like it's gonna look ugly at times, but the, the offensive line, there's some talent there. Maybe different coaches, who knows? But I think they're gonna really want to get guys in the transfer portal because they just need they need depth. They miss so much on the offensive line in recruiting the last few years, and it's just like, all right, we just need bodies. Like moving forward, you need to start getting. That's why you bring Will Friend in. You need to start getting four four star and five star guys to come in on your offensive line more frequently. But like for right now, it's like, can we get some dudes? Can we get some dudes to come in and compete with these guys and make the dudes coming back better, if not take their jobs? <laughs> because right. you need you need you need improvement up front. You need improvement up front. And maybe experience is what these guys need moving forward. But I also think talent's a huge factor because Auburn's offensive line the talent was like when Auburn had a decently talented offensive line under Gus Malzahn in terms of their recruiting rankings, that was their best seasons, 13, 14, and 17. When they fell off from that standard, 15, 16, eh, 16 was borderline, but 15, uh, 18, 19, and 20, that, that was their, that were their worst offensive years in terms of production, right? So, we know Auburn is the far is the farthest back Auburn is from any other contender in college football is their offensive line. So they got to get better at that. And maybe you can steal some guys in the transfer portal and kind of make up for lost time in that, in that aspect as well. So I must ask, have you seen the video going around of Saban giving his recruiting pitch? Uh, I haven't watched it yet. What, what was it? Like, can you, can you give me a cliff note? Uh, It's easy enough to explain why you should come to a school when we've done all the winning that we've done. Yeah. And also because how, of how good the team is, the practice is where you get really, really good because the competition is elite. Yeah. No, that's, that makes sense. It's like a super self-explanatory recruiting pitch, but it's also like, man, that's effective. I saw some people were up in arms about it. What was what were they, what what was the, what was the frustration about? Like, of course, that's what he's gonna say. And like, if you're an Alabama fan, you're like, "Yeah, that's a that's us." But like, it wasn't like he came on and said, "And and we're gonna give you all this money and all this." So like, no, he no, this was a 
you know, I, I, I saw people tweeting about it and I couldn't figure out why because it seemed like, yeah, uh, the gist I got from the replies and stuff like that were, were what you said. To me, it's just like, what else can you say at this point? Like at the beginning, I guess it was different because he had to point to some other accolades in his time at LSU. But <laughs> He after comes he in w- and says, look, look, guys, we're not going to lose to Louisiana Monroe again. Yeah. <laughs> and now on top of it, like one of the few things I guess you could hold above Alabama was that Auburn had three Heisman winners and they had none. Well, now it's tied. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know, whatever. But I'm just pointing out like the All-Americans, the Heismans, mm-hmm. the yeah. national titles, the NFL players. What else do you need to say? I think it can be pretty cut and dry for him now. Now, I think he outworks a lot of people, but yeah. that's beside the point. Uh, wanted to wrap up here with the other news from football this past week. And of course we've got national signing day coming up mm-hmm. later this week. Um, we're just going to think out loud here real quick. Possibly we might record Wednesday after signing day festivities have concluded, try to get it out maybe on Wednesday night. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. Auburn plays Auburn basketball, of course, plays Georgia on Tuesday. We'll have, you know, we'll cover some of that, but signing day will be an interesting one to follow so maybe you might be looking at a wednesday night uh podcast or something like that if you are in the inner circle if not subscribe six dollars a month six dollars a year auburnobserver.com uh the other the other news though on the football side is we have a schedule we have a schedule uh 2021's uh, why they released it on random wednesday in january on sec network I don't know, but I appreciate SEC Network for accidentally leaking Auburn's full schedule, so I didn't have to watch that whole thing. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> I still think I still think a lot of what what happened there was ridiculous, uh, but uh, you know I don't understand TV people. Uh, this is about as balanced of a schedule as Brian Harson could ask for, with one major exception. Um, you know, the SEC could have really thrown him into the meat grinder early and it's a tough schedule, but I think it's a tough schedule because of the opponents, not necessarily of how that they're set up this year. Right. Um, it's, you know, your you know, your schedule is always going to be difficult, but it right. can be made more difficult by who you're playing, where you're playing and what stretch. And I think that Georgia LSU stretch looks challenging, but it's you LSU pointed out Georgia, the way it's sort way. of layered. You've got some time to try to build up yourself just a little bit heading into those matchups and LSU who, who knows what they're going to be like? Honestly. I, I don't. I don't know. They're going to be one of the more talented teams in college football, but they're also what is that going to amount to? Right? I mean, last yeah, year, nothing. they've had they've had so much coaching turnover the last couple of seasons. They did it again this past year with both of their coordinators moving on or bringing in two new coordinators. There's all the off the field stuff that's going on in Baton Rouge. I don't know what to expect out of LSU this year, but yeah, I mean it'll be in Baton Rouge. But of those four games, Alabama, Georgia, A and M, LSU, I guess that's the one I go. Maybe you can do it. Maybe you can finally get one in Baton Rouge if LSU man, is still a mess. Would, man, what would that do for Brian Harson and his and his uh, his stock around Auburn if he could be the one to break that streak in his first, not only his first try, but his first SEC game? <laughs> if Auburn can walk in and say, oh, okay, all right, this is we can do this. But it'll be tough. It'll be really tough. And, of course, Auburn won't be favored in that game unless something weird happens in the first month of the season for both teams. Um what was it? But uh, you did point out the way the schedule stacks up in non-conference. I don't think is awful for Auburn. Uh, Nathan King pointing out on on Twitter earlier this week. This will be the first time since 1922 <laughs> that Auburn will play four straight non-conference games to start the season. Um, 
and then this will be the first time since 2003 that Auburn is alternating home and away games in the, if they're at the SEC season. They're not playing consecutive road games in the SEC, which also means they're not playing consecutive home games in the SEC. Um, it's a really, really balanced schedule. This The way that this is set up, though, is you have two games, not just one, you have two tune-up games to start the year mm-hmm. in Akron uh, and Alabama State. There's going to be a lot of newness, and there's going to be a lot of stuff to work out these first couple games. So you get that extra game to, to continue to work on yourself before you head to Penn State in Week 3. And then after you play Penn State, you get one more tune-up game coming back into town. Tougher competition. Georgia State's better in Akron than Alabama State. But you get to work on yourself a little bit more before you head to LSU. And that first month of the season is going to be a lot of, like, work on us, work on us, and you get tested by by Penn State. I think that's a really good setup. We talked about the LSU-Georgia, you know, back-to-back. That's going to be tough. If if JT Daniels is as good as people think he is, um, Georgia's going to be awesome this year because they returned a lot of everybody. Mm-hmm. And the thing with Georgia's just been, okay, can you – the one thing holding them back has been quarterback play, right? Like that's the it's the one thing that has kept them because they recruit. In some ways, they recruit even better at times than Alabama does. So, where are the results, be, dude? Yeah, but it's pretty balanced outside of that. You get that home road, home road, home road, kind of moving forward. Um, you do get to play South Carolina on the road again. Uh, the SEC looked at 2020 and said, "Hey, none of that mattered." Um, <laughs> moving on. Let's just stay with the rotation. I'll be curious to hear Brian Harson and the the build up if he'll if he'll take the approach of this is just another game. Yes. Some of the players weren't on the team for that loss. I wasn't here, or if they will embrace the revenge factor. Perhaps, and then of course there's also the fact that Mike Bowen and, and Will Friend are there. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Walt asked me in the mailbag this Friday if you if you read it. You know, like, hey, why didn't they just fix the home road thing? This would be an opportune time to do that, especially if you're making us go to South Carolina back-to-back years. And, well, Greg Sankey and Alan Green have said until – they're not fixing it until 2024 at the earliest. Like, they're going to play out this rotation. That's why you moved the Georgia game. So, sorry, guys. Like, it's just not changing. They're not They're not going to go through that process because if they change it for Auburn and Georgia, they're going to have to change stuff for everybody else And in terms of, like, the way everything's set up. So – it sucks, but it's not changing. Um, that, to me, I mean, the only thing, looking at Auburn's schedule in 2021, the only thing, and I was talking to Dan Peck about this earlier in the week, um, I, I think that if uh, if you looked at this schedule, the only thing that could have made this schedule easier, quote-unquote, um, is I guess if you started with South Carolina? Well, no, then you'd put LSU there. I don't know, man. I, I don't think there was a way to make the schedule easier. Now that now that I look at it, yeah, I'm on I'm on board with that. Yeah, you couldn't make the schedule that much easier because if you flip LSU, if you trade LSU with Arkansas, you're it's still you still got Georgia. You trade them with A and M is A and M. I mean, A and M is probably better than LSU is this season off the bat. Maybe switch against South Carolina, but then you're playing LSU and Alabama back to back. So, yeah, you know. This is about as good as you could have gotten it. And, you know, Auburn fans, thank your lucky stars that, you know, Auburn didn't see, that the SEC didn't see a first year head coach and they're like, oh, we're going to get them. Um, I think this, I think this schedule is balanced enough that even though there's going to be some growing pains and there's going to be, like, this is the bill for the future, I think Auburn can end up getting a decent record out of this. 
For a host of factors, I expect Penn State and LSU to be favorites against Auburn when the time comes. But yep. imagine the uh, fanfare that Harson can create if he They're manages to pull off. Yes, exactly. You know exactly yep. where I'm going with this. Yep. That would be that would be a that would be a huge huge deal. And you know, uh, it's not, I've said the 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 goal for Auburn in this season shouldn't necessarily be hey we've got to win eight or nine or ten or eleven games or whatever. Think more of like have a solid year, right? You know, don't don't have a really bad year. Don't have you know embarrassing losses or anything. Like you wonder if Harson, if this team is going to have the Alabama loses to Louisiana Monroe or Georgia loses to Vanderbilt, you know, in in, in Saban and Kirby's first years. Like, is there going to be one of those mm-hmm. games on, the, on out there? Which there are some options that can make that happen. Um, but like have a solid year and just show some progress on offense. Like if Bo Nix is your quarterback. Take that next step with Bo Nix. Like, make him a better quarterback, um, more accurate quarterback. Show some improvement on the offensive side with these new systems. Like, defensively, put a proof of concept out there that you're just like, all right, this is this is what this is what you can build around moving forward. Then necessarily saying if Auburn doesn't win nine games or ten games next season, this is a failure and everything. Like, no, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that. Like, you're in it for the long haul with this with this uh, build. Um, before we go, do you have anything else? That's it, my football? friend. I think you have done a nice job of covering it, and uh, God bless Brian Harson this season. He's got an uphill battle, but I, I think you're right about the schedule in terms of who you play. It's always going to be tough. How you have to play him, maybe not so bad. Let's quickly talk about the NFL before we go, um, because there are two. There's one clear Auburn tie-in, and there's another kind of Auburn tie-in I want to talk about. Uh, number one. Um, KJ Britt made some money this week in Mobile. He's the only representative down at the Senior Bowl for Auburn. He was the linebacker of the week in practices. I uh, had a really good game in the game itself on Saturday. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me about him coming off that injury, what does he look like? Well, he played really, really well coming off of, coming off his injury, uh, which I think will help at scouts. And the one thing we like, he was the best run stopper in college football in 2019, right? Statistically. Uh, the question around him was, can he make it in coverage? Those are some of the, you know, some of the areas that he needed to work on from what he showed at Auburn. Apparently he did a really good job of covering guys, especially running backs, tight ends, stuff like that. Um, this week in practices, I think he raised his stock. People asked me where he could go thinking maybe early day three is probably the best spot for him. Third round, fourth round. You know who knows he could he could not uh, you know kind of make that climb into the second round. I just think there's a, some crazy like first round depth at certain positions that are going to push some people down just because it's like, you know I, I feel like you could get to the second round and be like oh uh, no one's drafted Kadarius Tony yet or Rondale Moore maybe we should do that like so I think that might be pushing down some of these guys who could climb up into the second round. But good for KJ man like that's that was really cool to see because. You worry when he's coming off an injury, how much does that affect him? And uh, I don't know, man. Uh, it's been a while since Auburn's had a linebacker stick in the NFL for a while. Um, and I think KJ's got a good shot at that. Wish him the best. Excited that he played well. I was actually unaware of that. Yeah, well, this is we're here to inform, even sometimes, even sometimes the co-host. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and this is very tangentially related to Auburn, Mike Bobo's prized pupil just was the centerpiece of a blockbuster trade in the NFL. Um, Matt Stafford traded from the Lions I to the Rams. I did hear about this. Yeah, uh, Saturday night this story broke. 
The Lions are going to get two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff out of it for Matt Stafford. Now, is that too much for Matt Stafford? Probably. (laughs) Does Matt Stafford make the Los Angeles Rams a better team? Yes. I also wish this was happening four years ago, but yes, I still agree he makes them better immediately. Do the Los Angeles Rams have a tight Super Bowl window? Yes. Because they're having to pay Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and some other guys a lot of money. So, like, you gotta, you gotta, you know. Oh, they're trading their first round picks. Do they even need them? Look at this point. Like, (laughs) yeah. And finally, we get to see Stafford play on a team that has a chance to be relevant, which means his numbers can be put into more context, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, so yeah, Mike Bobo, he's still got a guy in the league who was the number one overall pick in the 09 draft, and he just got traded for he got traded for the number one pick seven years after him, two first and a third. Like Jeez. that that shows like how much value he's still been able to bring to the table. So quarterback development, good job, Armin. I wanted to say though, in light of this draft, or in light of this trade, sorry, in light of this trade, Painter. How many first-round picks is it going to take for somebody to get Deshaun Watson? That's where it becomes an untenable move. I don't understand. Someone will probably do it because the position is so valuable, and he is. I so say we good. go. I say we go. I say we go full Ricky uh, Ricky Henderson uh, Ricky Williams draft. I go full Ricky Ricky Williams trade and just say, hey, you want every one of our picks in this draft? Go for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're unlikely to get anything. As good, that's a fair point in the draft. He led the, he it led also, the, you have to be in the right situation to make that move. Right. So which three or five teams are in a position that could use an upgrade at quarterback but also have a roster where it's like, word, we just won't take any draft picks this year. Yeah. Uh, he led the league in yards per attempt <laughs> on a 3-13 and 13 team after, after they traded Nuke Hopkins for hardly anything. That's... It's that's so annoying what, that Bill O'Brien is going to get to be in the playoffs next year. So annoying. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I want to call plays for that team. Well, life ain't fair. The bomb off of NFL Blitz would be the play I would call. Yep. Yeah. I, I wonder what their receivers are going to look like next season. I mean, they're going to be good. Obviously, we said the same thing last year when they lost Judy and uh, Ruggs to the NFL. Um, but, like, no Waddle, no Devontae Smith, obviously. I guess John Mechie's still around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be so good. Uh, they'll be real good. Uh, but we will see. We'll see moving forward. Good for uh, good for Matt Stafford, though, leaving Detroit and going to L.A. That's a significant upgrade, I think, in a lot of areas, not just football-wise. Um, <laughs> not to say anything bad about the city of Detroit, like, culturally or anything like that. It's just, like, I, I wouldn't want to live there because of how cold it is. And Matt Stafford played at Georgia and grew up in Texas. Um, now well, Detroit hasn't LA. exactly had a, a fair shake in the last 50 years either. But, you know, exactly. got, but yes, the beaches and, you know, the things that come with L.A., I think, can can and make also, a run really at any city. And also the Detroit Lions franchise, good for Matt Stafford. He's probably the best quarterback they've ever had. And he got out of there and still had a career. They had Megatron and Barry Sanders, and they both just quit playing they were football. Like, nah. No, this is too hard. I'm not doing this. You're wasting my time. You're wasting right. my body. So at least Stafford got an out. <laughs> like at least Matt Stafford got an out. So shout out to Matt Stafford. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Auburn Observer Podcast. Like we said, 
You can sign up for our midweek one if you aren't listening to it already and become a subscriber at auburnobserver.com and get all the stories as well. Send in your email, email inbox. As Painter likes to say, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to your podcast. We really appreciate all the love and all the support. We've had some really, really nice messages uh, this past week and a lot of good feedback. And uh, we really appreciate it because you guys are the ones who make this all happen and they keep it all going. Yeah, we, we, we really, really appreciate all of the support. We didn't talk about the Bills on Thursday <laughs> or Wednesday last week. I, I, I didn't want to dig into it too deep. Um, I just mostly appreciate how supportive you were during the, the final stretch there. As you mentioned, you did get red-pilled, but also uh, it was nice mm-hmm. to have a comrade in town. Yeah, I mean, they were fun. What can I say? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who likes about 14 NFL teams, and I think the Bills ended up being one of them this year. Uh, no, it was like, I, I, I like that. I like that. I like that attitude that they had. I love, I mean, Stefan Diggs won me a fantasy league this year. So like, I'm, I'm always going to be grateful to the Buffalo Bills for that alone. Um, you know, I will always, I'll always support the Bills because of that. I love your idea too, of where they are in the draft and, and who, you, who it is you think that they should go get Najee Harris. Easy call, baby. Don't go overthink it. Get him. Don't go overthink him. it. It's like, oh, don't draft a quarter, don't draft a running back in the first round. I was like, I don't know, I don't care. If you see Najee Harris play football, go get that man. Go get that man, Bill. Dear God. And I don't, and I don't know what the cap space or anything looks like. You could probably use like a, you could probably use like a go, like a go-to edge rusher. Um, you could probably use, you know, another receiver to help to help take some things off of Diggs's plate, but. Like they just stopped running the ball <laughs> during yeah. the playoffs. Like we're not good at it. Like I and then no shade to Devin Singletary. I think he does he does some things really really well. It's just like hey, uh, we're not gonna do that. So <laughs> Najee Harris could be like, oh yeah, we can do that. Uh, so anyway, R.I.P. to the Bills. Go Bills. We'll talk to you guys later this week after Auburn, Georgia, and National Sign is. There's gonna be a lot of stuff to talk about on our midweek show. Sign up if you haven't already. Adios.